Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Episode five today on navigating no contact with toxic parents. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. My name is Tracy Principe. I'm your host. If you are not in the Facebook group, it's called navigating no contact with toxic parents. Please join. I'd love to have you over there. If you're not already in the group, you can join Navigating No Contact with Toxic Parents Facebook group. Thanks so much for being here. I do also want to clarify, I'm not a therapist. I am a life coach. I don't even like to use that word life coach because um, most life coaches uh, aren't actually talking about trauma and toxic parents. Um, they're focusing on, I'd say, you know, maybe more surface level problems um, and linear type solutions. I go so much deeper than that. And the reason I'm able to do that is because I've actually worked through my own trauma, toxic shame around trauma. Um, And I stopped running from it, right? So I'm actually going to talk to you guys about that today. And in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about growing up with a narcissistic mother, um, which was actually part of my shame for most of my life. I'm 51 years old. Yay! Um, Almost I'll be 52 in January. And I honestly didn't start looking at my trauma until just a few years ago. Um, for, you know, my entire life, I just ran from it because I wanted to belong. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be normal. I didn't want to have to explain to people, um, my childhood. It was so uncomfortable and I certainly didn't want to feel my feelings. And so I think that applies to a lot of us and especially if we are emotionally abused, um, or grew up with a narcissistic mother. And, you know, we just, I just wanted to belong and feel normal and feel okay. And the only, and it's, of course, it's survival, right? So the only way I could do that was just um, ignore my feelings, ignore everything. It was not okay to feel. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and maybe you can relate to this. So I actually didn't, Um, come to terms with my mother being a narcissist until I went into therapy just a few years ago. Somatic therapy, body-based therapy. Uh, If you guys are familiar with somatic experiencing, Peter Levine, um, The Body Keeps the Score, Bessel van der Kolk, those types of, you know, somatic body processing um, is really what saved me. And I realized and came to terms with the fact that my mother is a narcissist or definitely has narcissistic qualities. She's untreated and undiagnosed like many narcissists. My mother has other mental health issues and probably personality disorders. Again, undiagnosed, untreated. But... My mother was the icy cold narcissist. Um, Yeah, I'm sure she has her own trauma, 
I don't know exactly what it is because when I ever asked her about it, she kind of deflected, avoided, and just said, you know, her parents weren't the most loving parents, but she turned out okay. That was her response. And that's it. You know, just not, no detail. She's just, she's not that kind of person. Very avoidant, very, 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 very shut down, very cold. So I knew something was wrong at a very young age. Um, I do remember being in a crib alone most of the time. So um, she used to tell me that I didn't want to, um, that I was emotionless, that I didn't want to bond with her. But that's, and I believed it at the time, again, thinking there must be something wrong with me. But again, through therapy, Babies want to bond. Children want to bond. You could be the most terrible person on the planet and a baby wants to bond. So I now know that that is bullshit. Um, that, you know, that's part of her uh, reflecting onto me. Um, so for whatever reason, I know for a fact now, again, in hindsight, that I definitely had um, deep attachment wounds, avoidant attachment, um, because I wasn't able to bond with my mother. And so I remember being alone in my crib or my playpen um, for hours. My mother was in the house. She just was doing something else. And so that kind of relationship continued and I actually did get along with my grandmother much better. So my mom, I just had this weird um, relationship with my mother. We were never close. We didn't really get along. We didn't say much. There wasn't a lot of words um, or talking. There was definitely never hugged or I love you. None of that. Definitely not. Um, my grandma, so I went to live with my grandmother. I actually asked my mom if I could go live with my grandmother and she was happy to send me, uh, to my grandmother's. Um, I got it, you know, I liked being with my grandma and that was her mother. Not that, the, that my grandmother was the most loving, nurturing person either, but I knew that she loved me. Whereas with my mom, I knew it was apparent that she didn't like me, that she didn't love me. And it wasn't even so much words as a energy, a presence that a child is very attuned to that um, gave me anxiety or some kind of defense mechanism at a very, very young age, right? So those coping skills started kicking in. Um, just with my mother being very edgy, very moody, very cold. Um, she could be intimidating at times for a child because she just had this unapproachable energy about her. So at times uh, I felt like I was walking on eggshells and it was better just to be quiet and not say anything. And she wouldn't say anything either. So there wasn't, you know, verbal abuse even, it was more of this silent energy that also caused a reaction in me, a coping skill and a, you know, survival skill to be in that environment. Maybe you guys could relate to that. One thing that really stood out with my mother 
is she was a compulsive liar and she still is. And I remember and as a child, I knew she was lying. I just knew that she was lying. And she used to, um, you know, take my things and hide them or throw them away. And I couldn't find it, I'd be looking for it. And I'd say, well, you, you took it, I know you took it. And I was a child. And she would say, you know, whatever, no, I don't have it. No, I don't have it. And I knew she was lying and I got very angry and very upset. Um, and she still does this. She gets mad at me for a really strange reason um, for something, you know, really, really trivial. And she will take something of mine and hide it. Um... And so she still does those kinds of things. My mother is a hoarder. This was very shameful. She wasn't when I was a child, but she did develop hoarding um, later on. Maybe I was a teenager. And, you know, by the time it was full blown, I was out of the house. And it's, you know, slowly gotten worse over the years. Um, and so she is a hoarder. And that is very shameful, very, very shameful because the house is cluttered and messy. Um, and the worst part about that is she's attached to inanimate objects. She's attached to boxes, empty boxes and containers, just like you see on TV. They don't throw away food that's expired. Um, you know, just plastic bags and garbage, and she's very attached to it. So when I used to try to throw these things away, she would go ballistic. She would go ballistic. And that's when I can see um, the anger and the, um, you know, just this incredible anger. And she's 78 years old and she will still go ballistic and get angry and start punching me or hitting me um, because I'm trying to throw away her things. And so as a child or even a young person or a teenager or a young adult, I, you know, or in just being rejected, um, she's very reclusive, no friends. She's never been married. She's never been married. She's never lived with a man. Um, so definitely some, you know, interpersonal stuff going on there. Um, very reclusive, just doesn't, you know, doesn't want to connect with anyone. Very, very shut down. So the, you know, which the hoarding um, exacerbates that because they become more and more isolated. Um, and she's always been like that. Even as a kid, she never had friends. She never had anybody around. She detached from her own family. I don't know why, because she had a family. Um, and that also prevented me from knowing um, her side of the family because she deserted them for whatever reason. She didn't like them. She literally doesn't like anybody. Um, not even her own mother, which my grandmother. So my dad, so she met my dad. My dad was married with his own family. Um, and so I don't know if she 
was trying to lure him away from his wife or what. And I had to find out this as an adult. I always knew she was lying about that. More recently, just about six months ago over the summer, I found out um, someone had reached out to me and said that they were my sister and I was blown away. She had the adoption records that my mother signed and she found me through Ancestry DNA testing. And I was blown away that my mother had once again lied, deceived, and um, it actually re-triggered trauma. Um, it re-triggered, you know, just all kinds of mixed feelings. It was, um, I was excited that I had a sister, but there was also, wow, I could have really used a sister because I was all alone in my life. I was completely alone. Um, and then my sister told me that she came from a very loving adoptive family. And I thought, well, why couldn't have that been me? I would have rather been adopted. Um, and I said that, you know, you got the better end of the deal. You didn't have to grow up with my mother. Um, so when I, when I had been no contact, but I did contact my mother to confront her about the adoption, she denied it. And of course you can't deny um, DNA or um, adoption records that she signed. And so her thing is to withdraw, be the victim. That was my fault too, that I shouldn't have been meddling or whatever. Um, and so that's typically her behavior. And I knew she was going to do that because that's pretty standard. Play the victim, withdraw, disappear, ghost, um, and then blame me. So that whole thing was, you know, that whole, the whole, the way that she responds and the way that she operates, the way that she lies and just everything is very, very, um, a lot of denial, a lot of deflection, a lot of um, making things out to be, it's almost like she's created this fantasy world for herself. Um, and that has to be her own protection mechanisms. So I honestly have don't really have any idea what happened to her. Um, so, but definitely some of the traits, the narcissistic traits of just no empathy. I even approached her with the adoption and said, I know how hard that must have been for you in a time when there was no abortion and no birth control pills. And, you know, to try to um, empathize with her situation, right? And her response was, no, it wasn't hard. I mean, that's, that's how she responds. Um, so, yeah, so that, you know, that, so I went through my life just feeling like I wasn't good enough, wasn't valued. My feelings didn't matter. I didn't matter. Um, and I, what happened with that, those coping mechanisms of being in survival mode was I ended up with the wrong men. Let me know if anybody's done that before. Um, right? I ended up with the wrong men. Um, I got pregnant fairly young, ended up being a single parent, and I went to work. And I 
because I and I hustled because I had to I knew I had no support and it was a scary feeling but what if I got sick what if I got injured what if I you know didn't have any money what the hell would I do I had nobody to fall back on so it was a tremendous amount of stress and absolute fight or flight from a very young age that continued and then on top of that I developed more coping mechanisms of I have to do whatever it takes to feel okay and be accepted because my mother never ever ever accepted me she never acknowledged me she never loved me she never um, you know there's just zero emotional support she just cannot she is not capable she is just a terribly wounded wounded fragile person underneath all her armor so I went into the world developing these perfectionist you know coping mechanisms um, and that I couldn't fail that wasn't an option to fail it wasn't an option to um, you know nurture myself it wasn't an option to slow down um, it wasn't an option to have support I didn't know what that, those things would be like and it didn't feel safe none of that felt safe S having somebody support me didn't feel safe you know taking a break didn't feel safe slowing down didn't feel safe so I kept that running on high octane um, the dark side of that for me was alcoholism I would say sex addiction um, you know just looking for love in all the wrong places um, and then just not you know not attaching it was easier just to have sex and not attach to anyone um, and then just focusing on work because a job and my own money made me feel safe that made me feel safe even though that was an illusion that's the only way I could feel safe but the anxiety and the stress that it caused um, and then achieving, again, trying to fit in and doing the things that I thought I was supposed to do to be successful, to be okay. I'm okay because I'm doing these things that make me, you know, that I'm successful. I bought a house. I bought a car. I, you know, I went on trips. I did all of these things. Hey, I'm okay. I'm successful. I did all of these things. Look at me, right? And I suppose underneath all that, there was a part of me that wanted my mother to accept that. See me. Hey, look, I'm doing way better than you. You're sitting in a house full of fucking junk. And I'm over here succeeding. So F you, right? So a part of me, I guess, was doing that. And she never acknowledged any of that. But unfortunately, what happened with that is because all of those were wounds deep 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 wounds um and I could never be vulnerable I could never let my guard down I could never show emotion myself uh, because that might be a weakness it might be a flaw somebody might see me for who I really am and that was somebody that was full of shame and so if I wasn't able to expose myself to that right it's way too scary way too scary so being vulnerable wasn't an option so 
We all know what happens when we, you know, don't deal with our wounds. We don't deal, all of those were trauma responses. So every single one, you know, everything was a trauma response. Um, So being that, you know, high drive person, this person, look at me all successful doing the things and doing all that. Look at me, I'm really driven and, you know, I'm an achiever. Those were all trauma responses. I was wearing masks, my false self, my false self. Hey mom, look at me now. That's not good enough. Let me try for something else, right? And I pushed myself so, so hard. And the flip side of that is I was dying inside. Of course, alcoholism is a progressive disease. It gets worse. Um, My own father did die of alcoholism at a young age. And so I started to have to face some of those things. Um, And that first step, of course, was getting sober. And then, you know, just really taking that took a long time just to feel okay without drinking and then not even getting to the trauma because I wouldn't have been able to handle it right a newly sober person can only deal with getting sober and not drinking day to day so you know getting to trauma wasn't in my awareness at that time I would not have been able to handle it So it was actually years um, of getting sober and getting comfortable with that, that, you know, more of my trauma showed up because even though I was sober, I still had a lot of those and I had, you know, released the alcoholism um, in terms of using that to numb out, but I still had a lot of other coping mechanisms that I hadn't addressed um, because I had found you know, working, workaholism, just keep on working so I don't have to feel or deal. Um, And what happened with that is it led to burnout because again, I'm coming from a place of desperation. And by that time, I even, you know, got married and have um, a wonderful, solid husband, but I was still not able to let somebody in and take care of me, just was not safe years, I'm talking years and years of more work and recognizing everything as a trauma response and how that trauma was stored in my body. That is when things finally turned around. I also spent quite a few years doing spiritual stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, it also became kind of an escape mechanism because it felt good And there was a lot of, you know, things that felt really good. And so I practiced that for a long time. But what I realized is it's still, you know, all those coping mechanisms and trauma was still there. So it never touched on that. And it kept me out of my body. Out of my body wasn't, it wasn't safe to be in my body. I had to come back in my body gradually through somatic work, being present, being embodied. um, And that, you know... For trauma survivors or anyone that's experienced any kind of trauma, it's not safe to be in your body. You have to come back in your body gradually. So when I finally started that work, that is when things absolutely turned around. It's been the most powerful thing I've done for myself. And I've learned so, so much. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. But... 
what I've found is that, you know, this is a process and it's not an overnight process. There's no magic bullet. Um, it is a deep, deep deconstruction of our coping skills and our coping mechanisms that we picked up in childhood, right? And the shame that goes along with it. There's so much shame, especially if, you know, maybe your parents even said, oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. Or you're a bad, you're a bad kid. You know, those kinds of things. We had shame instilled in us and then we go out into the world And we hold on to this shame and it becomes toxic. And it becomes toxic. And we don't even recognize our coping mechanisms are built around that shame, right? I'll talk about shame more specifically in a separate podcast. Um, But I wanted to tell you a little bit about my story. Maybe you can relate to it. You know, like I said, my mother was, had, you know, narcissistic tendencies as well as probably some other personality disorders, plus the hoarding, um, you know, which is another, I guess they classify that as some kind of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, So, you know, lots of stuff going on for her. Um, and what that created for me and how I went out into the world as this wounded adult, um, you know, trying to survive, trying to survive. What happened is my body just broke down, right? This is decades of my nervous being, nervous system being stuck on fight or flight, stuck in the on position, decades of that. And my body said, Hey, you know, Time's up. It's collapsing on itself. Collapsing on itself. I had been burned out a few times and it kept getting worse and worse. And I didn't understand what was happening. And this happens to a lot of people because that trauma, that stored trauma in your body has to go somewhere. So it's going to leak out eventually. It's going to leak out in a lot of different ways. And then when we hold on to that and we suppress it, um, it can show up as, you know, chronic fatigue or some other, you know, autoimmune type uh, disease that, um, you know, doctors can't really figure out or whatever. And if if you've read the book or you read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, he talks all about that, how trauma is stored in our body and what happens with those suppressed emotions. And, you know, they got to leak out somewhere. And they leak out as disease or injuries or pain or, you know, autoimmune type things. So a lot of people with trauma are not making that connection and is most definitely connected that, you know, connected. Um, So that was a big part too, understanding how all that works in my body and getting, you know, getting into my body with somatic and embodiment practices being present so that I could feel my feelings and slow. And the only way you can do that is to slow down. And then finally, that's when things really shifted for me and really made so much sense. So much sense. And even some therapists aren't that aren't trauma trained or just talk therapy. 
um, you know, it doesn't work for a lot of people with trauma because you're still not addressing the body. So that's what's finally worked for me and really understanding how I projected all that into my adult life and went around with all my wounds and how that showed up. And more importantly is how those wounds showed up in society that praises busy and praises achieving, right? So, wow, I, you know, I now have that praise and admiration that I didn't get from my mother. I got it because I'm doing these things that society says are, oh, good for you. Keep going. You know, you're a badass. You are an achiever. You are successful, right? So I got some of that praise and accolades and, and, you know, from society that said I was doing great things and that's, you know, Hey, I must be successful. I'm accepted. I'm accepted. And isn't that what we all want to just be accepted? We just want to be liked and we want to be accepted. So my trauma responses, a lot of them showed up as socially acceptable behaviors that we get praised for. And so a lot of people with trauma are actually very high achievers. The problem is, is that if you are coming from that space of trauma, you're definitely going to burn out at some point. And I see that in a lot of people. The high achievers and the burnout and the high, you know, and that can be a cycle too that you get trapped in. And so I have such a better balance of, you know, just being, being present instead of doing, and I don't feel bad about it. And one of the things with going no contact with my mother was really getting into healing myself and nurturing myself, something I'd never done because I couldn't. I just, I couldn't do it. I didn't know how. It wasn't possible. It wasn't safe. Um, And that's, you know, what comes with the no contact and getting out of that trauma drama loop is nurturing yourself, putting yourself first, which is not selfish, it's necessary because we've probably never put ourselves first before, right? We're putting other people first, putting other things first. But once we disconnect from that cycle with our toxic mother or father or parents, we can begin to focus on ourselves. And that is when the true healing can begin. We can slow down and focus on ourselves. Is it easy? No, it's it's not easy. It's really, really hard. And I'll always say this is really hard work, but it's so worth it. You get peace. You get joy. You get liberation. You get this sense of self that is so strong. Oftentimes we don't know who we are because we didn't get that secure attachment. And so we adapt. And we look for things outside of us that says, hey, I'm okay if I do that. I'm okay if I follow that, right? So think about, you know, think about uh, the takeaway here is really, you know, no matter if you were raised by a narcissist or you, you know, or an addict, alcoholic, or some other mental illness or whatever the case was, your parents weren't available, Uh, They were not emotionally, you know, attuned to you. They did not 
help you navigate your emotions. Um, They did not comfort you. They didn't keep you safe. They didn't honor your feelings or emotions. And one of the most important things we can do is really get to know ourselves and how we cope, right? Our coping mechanisms, even those coping mechanisms that look like things in society that we're supposed to be doing. Are you, are you running, you know, are you just fueling your fight or flight? Um, or are you more frozen? You know, really understanding that that's when it all clicked in for me and the light bulb went off and it made perfect, perfect sense for the first time in my life. It was almost like a relief, like, oh my God, okay, I can breathe. I can let go for the first time in my life. I can let go a little bit and then let go some more. And then to feel safe, to realize I have a body that has a lot of wisdom and that's talking to me all the time and now I'm listening to it. So think about, you know, think about how you cope in the world, how that shows up for you, how those, you know, how those patterns show up, those repeating patterns that become habitual, um, you know, are you eating too much? Do you eat when you get nervous? Do you feel the anxiety building up? What happens? You know, do you run? Do you shut down? Um, you know, all of those things. It's it's kind of the first step in just being aware of what's going on and why, you know, why these things keep playing out in our adult lives, right? And really the first step is is when you can go no contact and you take the focus off your parents and their drama, can begin to focus on yourself beginning to focus on yourself and looking at some of those patterns. It's not your fault. It is not your fault. These are things that happened to us and our body responded and our nervous system responded. Our brain responded to keep us safe. It was only doing its job. The thing is now as adults are probably not imminent danger. And so our body is wired, you know, we've got to rewire it. We can rewire, we can reset our nervous system. It takes a lot of work, takes some patience and some practice, but the payoff is finally being free of all that, taking off the masks, the false self and revealing your more authentic, vulnerable self, connecting with people better, communicating, you know, whatever it is, just being in the world in a different way. It's a little different than what society says for us, but the rewards are just something that you can't get outside of yourself. All right. So I think that's about it for this episode, but let me know what you think if you join the group. Um, yeah, if you were raised by a narcissist, did that resonate for you? Um you know, if you have a parent that's a hoarder, I get it. That is, you know, really, really shameful. I didn't want to even, I've only recently admitted that openly. So, you know, all those things, it just feels better to talk about it. And when I'm vulnerable, other people can be vulnerable. So that's really what I'm here for. When I open up and be vulnerable, other people can be vulnerable. And I'm here to listen, um, And, you know, sometimes just getting that load off if you've never, ever, ever opened up about it because of the shame, you've got to release some of that. Okay, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Again, if you're not in the Facebook group and you want to join the Facebook group, you can catch more of me over there. 
and that is navigating no contact with toxic parents. All right, have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.